name's Philippa and in this episode we're going to be talking to Associate Professor Lumen Mao. We're going to be talking about HIV and ageing and what she calls a tsunami of people entering aged care in a very short period of time. We had better be ready. Check it out. LGBTIQ Health, Lifestyle and Community News. Check it out is brought to you by the AIDS Action Council. From Canberra. For everyone. I'm speaking with Associate Professor Limon Mao. Welcome, Limon. Hello, Philippa. Limon is a social researcher with the Centre for Social Research in Health at UNSW Sydney, and we're here to talk about all things HIV, in particular HIV and ageing, and the recent research project that you did here in the ACT. Uh, thanks, Philippa. It's interesting that um, uh, you know this uh, research project is funded by ACT and also in collaboration particularly with you at the AIDS Action Council but also a lot of community organisations uh, in the sector and um, we actually um, got a lot of input from the community organisation from different providers and the clinicians about what do we imagine about HIV and ageing um, you know it also the, the research project is probably broader than HIV but in terms particular with HIV we thought about what is ageing concept. Yes, absolutely. And that was the first question I was going to ask you, Lemon. What what do we classify as aging? Yeah. And is it the same for people living with HIV? Do we have an age range? Are we saying that you are aging when you're 45 or 55, God forbid, or, you know, 70? What what and is that different for somebody living with HIV? That's a very interesting question. We Everybody is ageing. For HIV, um, you know, with the Commonwealth, the My Aged Care, the definition f- to access the government service is usually for 65, apart from Aboriginal people, they're a bit uh, early um, entry. But for uh, people living with HIV, through what we look at in the literature and talking to people, we think that um, uh, why premature ageing for people living with HIV is still quite a contested area in the academic world. But in real life, we think that um, actually for us to make those people um, be more resilient, probably we need to think as earlier than 65. Um, according to what we did with the literature and you know, kind of the services and all that, we feel that probably for people living with HIV, particularly those living long term with HIV, 50 kind of um, 50 up is probably a nice time to really looking at what their own aging plan and what is their gaps and self-management issues that what we can help to bring them to a much more desirable aging outcome in a way. So you are saying that people living with HIV are aging more rapidly than the general population, essentially. Uh, uh, compared to their counterparts, um, Philippa, and, and in our group we talk about it's probably um, not only the physical health part, but also the kind of the social implication of living mm. with HIV. Still, we can't uh, ignore the stigma and the discrimination part. And also a lot of people living with HIV also have other part of the lifestyle or sexual or gender identity issues that still some part of the society is having issues to deal with. 
Yes. Um, but also what we see in when particularly talking to some of the people is um, in terms of they have a bit long uh, kind of long established issues in terms of social disadvantage in terms of not only physical health mental health financial struggle some people can can leave workforce early or doing casual some kind of part-time rather than full-time job mm. so all the sum of these made them kind of um, in thinking of their aging what's the options what's the kind of services available are these services going to be friendly um, in, in, into the picture that it's a quite making it a quite urgent issue to talk about your research and talking to all the key stakeholders in the ACT, do you think that the ACT environment for people living with HIV is any different to anywhere else? Your experience in New South Wales or anywhere around Australia? Um, Just in the Australian context. Yep. Uh, Philippa, do you do realise it becomes a quite sensitive issue to compare um, New South Wales with ACT? Ah, of course. <laughs> but I, I think that first nationally, I think we face the same issue, that it is a quite urgent issue to um, to address. And I realise there's a Royal Commission coming up, mm. which invite the community <laughs> to submit why in the case that we need um, attention, particularly probably special attention. So in that way, I think um, it, it should be become a national priority. In ACT, um, uh, with this project, we actually agreed to adopt a strength-based approach to look at you know ACT's current kind of uh, service plan and uh, kind of how we're going to move forward. Um, as as you know, that um, we actually discovered that there's a lot of cases in ACT that because ACT, in a way, the networks, the people know each other are better in a quite, um, you know, and, and also um, quite a lot of people still living in Canberra, although there are people more s- scattered around and across the border with New South Wales. We actually, the good thing is we identify some really successful examples of some agencies or services started to doing what we kind of thinking could be a good um, abandoned model to move forward in the interim, including some peer support services, peer navigation, to help people um, to understand how to, for example, if they choose to live at home, what's the services that are going to be GLBTI friendly? Or are, are these services properly trained in a way to understand what's bloodborne viruses and implications for their staff? We also know that um, uh, with ACT, the clinical services, they are quite closely connected. Um, there is at least an informal referral pathways that are established. We have um, different nurses and clinicians play different roles in service mm-hmm. navigation, at least in the clinical service. Um, we also identified there could be some community organisations could link the clinical services um, and the community service, particularly in terms of transition between hospital and a, you know go back to their home and community. So, so Lumen, I just want to pick up on something you said earlier on there um, uh, that was a nuance to the ACT. You said there was a sense of connectedness and community and um, organisations' ability to talk to each other, liaise, refer and have a stronger sense of community. That's something that's quite unique to the ACT and I've also found that working in this this area. The, the strength of the partnerships and the connections and people know each other and that's probably because we're a small community 
but also, you know, a big city at the same time with lots of services and infrastructure, there's certainly an advantage there. Yeah. And also, I think being close to Commonwealth government, you know, mm. kind of your local government also has advantage to really have the glimpse of what other services are doing, but also and in ACT, try it and implement it in a quite, um, you know, kind of favoured condition when, you know, the, the sector knows each other well and have the willingness to cooperate and implement and, you know, trial some new um, models. Mm. So I want to ask, what do you think are the two top issues for people living with HIV um, and people who are ageing living with HIV to help them navigate the process and potentially slow down that ageing process? Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, go back to the resilient ageing, I think that um, the key idea what we are trying to put forward is probably everybody, uh, different people have different goals in terms of what they want to, uh, you know, in terms of the ageing process, in terms of how their body function, in terms of how they connect with other people. People are quite different. But, uh, you know, we need a tailored approach for individuals. However, I think there is is probably a policy level as we go back to the my age care and all that I think there is probably a gap for people living with HIV not only in terms of particularly chronological age but also for those people long-term living with HIV that having a strict you know 65 up um, eligibility probably wouldn't be that helpful because for quite a lot of people before that age they probably already encounter quite a lot of issues that Mm. could um, put barriers to their you know, desired ageing pathways. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is a policy issue to address nationally. Um, I, I also think um, for a community or- organisation like AIDS Action Council, you guys already start doing quite a lot of peer navigation. Yes. And um, you, you know, kind of, um, w- w- we are connected to a variety of more mainstream now community services, including some religious services are, who are more looking friendly towards GLBTI. But I think that fundamentally we realise more and more the peer navigation would be a quite in- important part to link individual people in the community, in some isolated some places, mm. to our services, both cam- uh, community but also clinic, but also the loneliness, having certain social mm. connection, either online or person by, you know, face to face, because uh, the, the loneliness part, apart from the physical health, is also helps them to address, you know, certain issues of self-management. We discovered that nowadays, um, even some old people might not be very good at learning some, you know, mobile apps. But certain mobile apps have uh, to help them manage their going to the clinics, going to community services, and all that. So if if you know we have enough kind of those champions coming through with certain support, both financially, structurally, and policy-wise, I think. That that, you know, um, here in at least Canberra and ACT, that could be a good ground to try some new interventions and support those peers to use those kind of uh, silver wisdom to help us to find some innovative ways to not only connect those people who really in need, um, um, also vocal, but also people in need, but less vocal and less kind of um, reaching out, but maybe struggle you know, kind of privately yeah. in a quite 
um, yeah, situation. I, I like that term, silver wisdom. Did you make that up? Yeah. Yeah, just when now? looking or? at you. Yeah, oh, yeah, thank <laughs> no, you. No, you're not silver. <laughs> no, I'm not silver. But what a great idea, silver wisdom. So maybe we, um, we think about some peer navigation services and we call them silver wisdom and we work with people through psychosocial support and, and a range of other support services and, and also that policy objective, systematic strengthening and advocacy yeah. at that level. And that is sort of where your research over yeah. the last 18 months has, has led you to yeah. feel that for the ACT. Yeah, I, I think that also one important thing that, Philippa, we discussed through some kind of talking with some of your clients, it's actually that the value of putting back to them, saying they are valued as peers or as, as a, you know, they are not only depending on the service to give them something, but also they can give back um, to the service, to their community, something that they think it's valuable. You know, to them, it's really a mutual appreciation mm. of what they can give out. Yeah, I love that model. That's just so fantastic. That's brilliant. So, Limon, let's talk some data for a minute. How many people do you think, you know, what's the estimate number of people who are going to be hitting the aged care system and requiring support, people living with HIV, mm. in the next five to ten years? That's still a mystery figure, um, although we are, we had some old data which shows that in Australia currently we have about twenty to 25,000 people living with HIV and by 2020 or you know further beyond is there could be about 40% of those people that are 50 above and uh, require some urgent attention in terms of comorbidity with multiple chronic conditions that uh, quite, uh, re- require some attention. So uh, I know that um, there will be some new modelling showing that it could, it could be even bigger than that. So Limon, you're talking about ten to 15,000 people living with HIV entering the aged care system in the next five to 10 years. I'm afraid it would be at least ten to 15,000 and much quicker than in five, 10 years time. Could wow. be. The impact is enormous. Are these services ready? Is the is the aged care sector ready? I think that through our study, we, what we find is there is awareness, but I'm not sure if they are adequately addressed at different levels. Yeah, very interesting. So, Limon, what do you think the aged care system needs to do to get up to speed to get ready for this? Um, Philippa, you put me in a difficult position. That <laughs> I don't think I can answer that question. I think the Prime Minister should answer <laughs> that question or Minister of Aged Care. Um, from what our study know is actually we find a disjuncture between our HIV sector, including both the clinical service and the community service, knowing the increasing need. We call it, it's almost like a tsunami coming. But also the aged care, there is willingness to, uh, to address this issue, but also inadequacy to you know, both from the staff level and the structure level to see how they're going to the mainstream, particularly those mainstream um, services are going to address this issue. 
issue. Are these uh, some people with special needs or these people can be completely mainstreamed, treated everybody as the same? Yeah. And what, what do you think about the, the stigma and the fear that still exists around HIV? And particularly, probably with older generations, more than younger generations, I suppose. Do you think that's going to be a big factor? I think that, um, you know, stigma and discrimination within or without institution, that's always prevalent, you know, even in the community, even sometimes within the service um, providers within the sector, even we have that stigma discrimination issue. I think uh, more and more people hearing that, uh, that uh, for people that, you know, who had come out, you know, early in their 20s, 30s, now they're getting to the age of thinking of there's possibility of getting into those age care facility it's a fear of the second coming out yes yes uh, and and whether or not there is guaranteeing that those services will um, treat them fairly and like other people uh, how those sensitive informations can be dealt with confidentially and aptly Yes. And that's why, um, you know, community organisations like you are trying to do, um, I think uh, John just told me that for some aged care service, they're actually reaching out to you to do some GLBTI-friendly ageing service, at least to address the gender and sexual diversity issue. Then we can put snudging something into blood-borne viruses, infection, but also the stigma, how universal um, kind of health protection, but also respect yes. in terms of their right. Yeah, we do have a number of programs um, currently running, one that's funded by the um, federal government through the National LGBTI Alliance, and that one's called Silver Rainbow, and that's training for the aged care sector around LGBTI awareness, but there is also a component of HIV in that training. And um, the AIDS Council has just recently started doing some consultancy work as well with big mainstream organisations to help build their capacity around this tsunami that you speak of, of the flux of people living with HIV and the LGBTI community entering into aged care and the potential possibility of then having to come out again and all those factors that impact that. And remember, Philippa, that within our study, we actually had Dementia Australia and Kota. Actually, we approached them, but also got their you know attention in the way that you know these issues, both in the mainstream and in the within the sector, there is ways to cooperate and learn from each other. Yes, absolutely, and we want to do that. One of the biggest strengths, I think, as we mentioned before in the ACT, is the strength of working in partnership and working together because we are definitely stronger together. Yes. And we'll be able to fight the tsunami. <laughs> so, Lemon, do we have any data, do we have any idea how many people living with HIV or people who are members of LGBTIQ community broadly are currently living in residential aged care? With those aged care facilities, I think the data is not coming out. I'm not sure either if they haven't surveyed it or not. Um, but with the whole My Aged Care and the Commonwealth framework with the ageing, it's actually the emphasis is less about aged facility, but more about people you know, being self-resilient uh, and living in the community in a quite good 
position uh, condition uh, so that you know majority of people doesn't need to have to go to facility or really can delay their age of going to facility actually the mainstream we know 80% of people actually they do not go to any aged care facility so if people are not going to aged care facilities and they're staying in their own home and staying in their own communities what factors help them uh, maintain that and and have health in that yeah I'm glad that, Philippa, you again pointed to the important issue, particularly for people living with HIV, particularly for those long-term survivors, that a lot of people actually do not have a family or they lost their peers during the uh, AIDS crisis so that some of them, not like the people in the general community, they have family, they have friends support, they're actually quite lonely and are living by themselves. That's why, again, the community-based peer support program is so important in connecting those lonely people in their, you know, they can be still very self-reliant but, you know, the social support is actually like a lubricant that can smooth things out before they fall into a crack. So we're back again to those community services, the services that are provided in the community for the community by peers and through peer navigation and peer support and psychosocial support services and the strength of those yeah, to, to make that con- connectedness with the community, um, you know, beyond the whole, just the family kind of in that way. Great. Lemon, with all your experience across the HIV sector and all the social research that you've been doing for the last, you know, 20 years, fantastic work. What do you feel is on the agenda for the future? What's it going to look like in five years and 10 years? Philippa, you are asking me to look at the crystal ball. Do you have a crystal ball? But I do have a solution. That's partnership. Um, we have dealt with, with the HIV crisis from the beginning, not knowing much even about HIV itself, but through community, um, through all these partnership, community um, building, working with doctors, clinicians, politicians, researchers, together we can deal with it. And that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Like we say this sort of stuff all the time, but really it's such a a non-brainer. We just need to work together with the community on behalf of the community, by the community and get it done. So, Lemon, we're going to be all right in the future. We already become friends, aren't we? Yeah. (laughs) There you go. Imagine I'm 45. I'm a little bit older than that, but we won't tell anyone. I'm 45. I'm living with HIV. What plans do I need to make to ensure my future is going to be okay? Uh, I think that's a good question. I'm just 45, so let me think in that way. I think uh, it depends on if I'm a gay man living in a quite well-serviced places, then, you know, I probably, there's quite a lot of information that I can already get. What I will do is talk to my GPs or clinicians about it, talk to my community, kind of some kind of networks and all that to say what I can do um, for myself, but also for the community to help those people already in need. 
Um, but if I'm a non-gay or, or a woman living with HIV, less those people currently being prioritized, but should be prioritized, living in the area are quite isolated by myself, um, which where there is not much services you can see, particularly catering for people living with HIV. I would really think seriously about, um, you know, kind of how am I going to address it to increase my self-management skills. Um, you know, there are some other um, more online um, information resources, apps, or maybe should I think about, you know, cr- start to create a network of, auto, you know, kind of some in- emergency calls, some friends that I can ask for help, or, you know, get to know some kind of the nearest places that are going to be friendly um, and, and you know, really s- starting to plan for it. So build your community, yeah. find your peers, find your... Build yourself. Build yourself, build your community, yeah. capacity building. Yeah. Yeah, great. Lemon, do you have your emergency services sorted out? Uh, yes, I always have my husband's mobile number anywhere. Okay, great. But I'm not sure if he will pick up. <laughs> Lemon, thank you so much for talking to us today about your research. Um, please keep us up to date. And I do need to put in a little plug for ACT Health, who funded this research through the Centre for Social Research in Health. So thank you to ACT Health for that. But mostly thank you to you for your generosity and your humility and the way you've worked with our community here. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Philippa. For more information, visit our website at aidsaction.org.au. Follow us on Facebook or become an AIDS Action Council member. You know you want to. LGBTIQ health, lifestyle, and community news. Check it out. Is brought to you by the AIDS Action Council. From Canberra. For everyone.